0: Today's episode of So Many Books, So Little Time contains topics such as underage sexual discussions and topics that are adjacent to abuse towards minors, lots of mature content in terms of sexual content and the objectification and use of women who are placed in a position where they have to trade favors lech-like behavior, questioning the purpose of life, indications of fairly severe red flags regarding potential sexual assault and coercion, also questioning the purpose of war and the futility of war, and again, lots of death, lots of violence, lots of questionable content surrounding sex. And also at the beginning of the chapter Dave and I go off into a very deeply philosophical tangent which might be challenging for some to listen to only because it's, it's quite long.
1: Hey folks, Dave here. Andrew. And welcome to So Many Books.
0: So Little Time.
1: Please join us as we continue Catch 22 by Joseph Heller with Chapter 23, Nately's Old Man. <laughs> I believe he's been his old man has been mentioned at least once before.
0: Yes, where Natalie was getting a an allowance of sorts from mm-hmm. his wealthy father.
1: Yep, which he's. Uh, I'm going to use the term "blowing" on. Well, a prostitute.
0: He's providing it to a person with purchasable affections due to the fact that he has inv- developed emotional entanglement.
1: Mm.
0: when they've clearly indicated that they're not interested necessarily in an emotional entanglement. It's a bit weird, the whole thing.
1: Mm. I I think, just just from the chapter heading, that we probably will learn a little more about that this chapter.
0: Maybe. We don't know. We might.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's... um, (laughs) I'm hoping it's a little bit of a departure from last chapter.
0: Maybe, but the last chapter was—it was meant to be about Milo, and it was about Milo. So,
1: oh, I just mean that most of last chapter, I was kind of like, "Oh well," I didn't have my hand over my face because I was reading it, of course, but kind of meant inwardly, I was face palming most oh, of that yes. chapter. Yes,
0: yes, that was a, that was an interesting chapter in terms of the behavior of um, at least uh, yes, Milo and how he's he's essentially using everyone anything to further his empire. But everyone is part of the collective.
1: Empire is a good word for it. Y- yes, yes. I, I mean, syndicate is also a great word because syndicate always sounds a lot more sinister, at least to me. Um, I think that's because in the early 90s, I played the bullfrog game syndicate a lot, where you're like a set of uh, mercenaries who walked through a city just assassinating people.
0: I am trying to see how why it would be called Bullfrog Syndicate. Oh, bullfrog and- is
1: the name of the company who made it.
0: Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. That makes more sense cuz I was going a Bullfrog Syndicate as in you are all playing Sorry,
1: yeah. I'm, a whole
0: pile of Bullfrogs that are that are a syndicate? Like wait, what? Like I'm not sure is- if
1: Syndicate was his game, but Bullfrog was uh founded I believe by Peter Molyneux, who's famous for games such as the Fable series. Um, hmm. And he became very infamous for over-promising what his games could do and then kind of under-delivering.
0: Oh, that's very sad.
1: Even though he's um, he has some fantastic games, like uh, he his, his first claim to fame was Populous, which was, I think, one of the first God Sims.
0: So I guess he has the ideas, but the execution doesn't always... I well, it, it, it
1: it's not so much the execution either. Like Black and White is another one where it's kind of a god sim. You've got this weird creature that you can give commands to, but it won't always follow the commands. It's just that then once he um, got into the two thousands, he started he started being a, more of a marketing guy, and he was mm. just hyping things that his game okay,
0: yeah. uh, yeah. couldn't
1: do. So it's not that he failed at the execution. It's like I have not played the Fable games, but I hear, you know, they're fun enough and they do some cool stuff, but, you know, what he was promising was not in those games. Mm-hmm. So it's that thing where, yeah, if, if you overpromise, even if you, even if you end up with something good, people are going to feel let down because their expectations were higher than what the thing mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. is.
0: Yeah, hype. Hype is not great. But yeah. Like, yeah.
1: Um, especially within the video game sphere the the hype cycle in terms of properties is quite problematic mm. but but i guess it's kind of like movies or that you know the the whole idea that especially with social media and the internet you you've got to get people talking about your thing uh, and it seems that people will do anything to get their thing talked about
0: yeah yeah but it's it's not like i don't know i i i get very I I don't like the whole, there's no such thing as bad press kind of attitude Mm. that seems to have translated across into social media. It's like,
1: no. Yeah, the whole thing where engagement is all that matters and and the sad metrics that things that are negative generally tend to do better Mm -hmm. engagement-wise than positivity.
0: Because it's it's enragement engagement. Yeah. yeah. There you go. If that's not a term out there, I'd like to...
1: Outrage culture, yeah.
0: Well, outrage culture, yes. But I'm saying, enragement engagement. Come on, it's 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 catchy. It's catchy. But yes, no. I'm sure there's someone who's written about it in some sort of sociology paper or media culture kind of thing. I don't know. Not not my jam. No, no, no. No, you. Although I'm sure we all we all engage at some stage in enragement culture, even if it's just. Reading something and going, uh, why?
1: Well uh, th- I think that's social media in general. I don't think you can be on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Reddit without seeing at least one thing that makes you go, uh
0: But but the thing is, you can't be in the world and not have that not happen.
1: Oh or I, you I think you with- could shut yourself off from everyone, but you know that's that's a that's lonely not, existence. Then you're not
0: in the world, mm. you're just existing in a bubble um asceticism is not
1: yeah no i i'm with you on that it's i think it's a noble pursuit but i think it's yeah it's rejecting what makes us human which I is i also don't uh, know
0: how noble it is anymore because asceticism is the rejection of you know the rejection of all things that are material right. But the thing is, if you're doing so for being at a higher level or a higher power or being your higher self, if you don't apply your higher self in interaction with others, then it's a completely selfish game.
1: See, the reason I said noble is the idea of, you know, meditation and fasting and other such things that are associated with asceticism, because initially I see it as improving one's own inner self. Yes. I, especially with fa- no, actually, both fasting and meditation require a great deal of discipline. So, that's like I always think of things like discipline and courage mm-hmm. and all this stuff, like muscles you can build through, you know, yeah. practice. And I think it's very noble to be able to gain such a mastery over oneself. But you are very right that if you reach that mm-hmm. or if you are on the road towards that, it kind of is worthless if you're not then using that better understanding of yourself to go out in the world and, and share yourself with
0: also, it's it's how is it the other thing is when you think that nothing, if, if the only way that you feel that you can be your best self is by isolation, so to speak, and engaging in disciplinary actions, which is fine. Disciplinary fasting and meditation themselves are tools. They're great tools. Mm-hmm. N- no one's do to know, like, it's a thing. For some people, they're not the options that they can go with and they're not actually conducive to their betterment and they make them actually much, much worse, much. But other, like, you know, as, as tools, there's, there's a whole bunch of tools out there that exist that enable us to, to uh, you know, Engage in discipline. Engage in self-reflection and moments. But the, the you know, the, the expression of navel gazing. Hmm. I'm I'm sure it has some sort of dodgy origins. I will say it's probably some sort of racist epithet involved in there somewhere. Some sort of uh, stereotype. But inward focus, only focusing on inward, as opposed to also how you interact with others and how what you bring out in others, but also what you can learn from others mm-hmm. if you only believe the only person that can teach you something is yourself that's that's um hmm, that's a choice that's a choice i like I, I i don't know like i'm not gonna i don't feel like i'm in a place to judge another person for their things but i, I don't know how how it can't become have a risk There's a higher risk of it forming like a selfish pattern of action.
1: So I've I've got an interesting thought bouncing off that where um, I remember uh, when I was taking my intro to philosophy class back in uh, uni, talking about how, you know, uh, a lot of the Greeks believed that um, in reincarnation and the idea was that you kept on the wheel or going through the cycle until you got to a point where you could transcend. Uh, Buddhism is very similar. The idea Mm -hmm. that you're trying to uh, reach enlightenment through mastery of the self. But, Mm -hmm. but the idea that I like with the Greeks was also that they thought, you know, everything you need to transcend is within you, but we forget it once we're born. And the whole point of life is to, uncover or relearn these truths. Well, learn is the wrong word because again, it's, it's like you, actually, here's, here's a good example. You know, sometimes when, when you gain a bit of knowledge that, that makes a lot of sense, like you really understand something, you get that kind of aha, you know, that, that, that rush of dopamine, it feels really good. But at least for me, accompanying that rush is always like either, oh, I should have known that already or how simple kind of like it was a key, a door that was unlocked with a key. Like mm-hmm. it was already there and suddenly someone just opened the door. It's like, Oh, of course. I think, I, yeah. Um. But, but where I'm going with this is that yeah. kind of learning the idea that you can only transcend once you kind of relearn these truths that are somehow locked inside us. I think the keys are out there in the world, either through what other people have written or interacting with others and learning how to be your best possibly through service to others.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, like, look, I have slight variations on, on some of the uh, approaches, but like, it's, yeah, it's the, it's like everyone has the potential already. They Mm. already have all these abilities. Like everyone has the potential to be kind. Everyone has the capacity, like there's a potential in there to be, Understanding to be insightful, to be all these things—they exist as potential. It's that through interacting in life, through being part of the world, through consciously working on these qualities, so to speak, we build up our capacity to put it into action, and then we refine it and develop it further. You know, the same idea is like a—if a, a, you look in, um, you know, in the Earth's crust, are a whole bunch of precious gems. Mm. But unless you actually bring them out from the dirt and then polish them and, and they, they, their potential to capture the light and, and refragment, refracture it and, 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 and reflect it and refracture it, that doesn't, you know, it isn't, the greatest potential isn't brought into the greatest capacity until you actually, until some work is involved. There's, oh. there's a bit of work involved.
1: And, and even just being pointed in the right direction, you know, a, a lot of... Um what we classify as success is very much down to luck and circumstance. We've talked about that yeah, before. Yeah, and,
0: luck and circumstance for sure. There's a lot of and it, and but yeah.
1: There, there are folks that I feel sad because, you know, I started to, I think, I mean, it's probably been a life thing, but I really feel like I started my personal growth journey when I turned 30 and I was at my lowest point and I kind of decided I needed mm-hmm. to grow and uh, get better. So I started looking, but mm-hmm. you know, I had an impetus but I guess I was also who I am and I've had the background I have and the friends I have that I was able to start looking for a path forward find that path forward and then start walking that path and it does feel like a lot of folks out there have the misfortune that they never even get a glimmer of that there is a path available.
0: Well also that it, the path that a path that you tread to like you know, the cool thing about paths is that usually if we, if you work on it, if you, if you're, whilst you're walking on that path, you are conscious about how it needs to be made wider or it like walking, if you walk on a path that only, oh, it's, it's a very narrow mountain path that only you can walk up that mountain path and that's it. That's not the same thing because everyone is capable of growth and change. So this is something everyone is is capable. Oh, yeah, of no, doing no,
1: I, of, I agree. Right? I'm, I'm so it's, saying So it's one
0: of those. Yeah, no, no, not disagreeing. It means that this path that we are, that that you're treading right now, that many others are treading, and some people don't realize that they've kind of they're standing on it. So everyone's actually on this path. It's just that they don't. There's a lot of us who don't realize. Oh. I'm just, I'm standing on a path and I could be walking towards, and there's other people near me trying to walk along the same path as well. And, how hey, we could w- walk together or I can walk on my own. It's like, it, like the, you know, the path is, is like infinitely wide.
1: And you know it's what I like- People li-
0: don't realize they're on it.
1: <laughs> what I like about that as well is the idea of people, different, you know, parts on the path. It reminds me of how a lot of folks- choose to plateau in like creative disciplines but i guess it's the same for path you know you can reach a point on a path and then say i'm just going to rest your file for a while and suddenly 20 yeah. years has passed you are know, like, oh damn i i haven't been walking
0: but that's the thing like you you the, so i mean this is based um, i'm kind of paraphrasing some writings that I'm, I'm familiar with that i don't really want to bring to you because mm-hmm. it's not the space but um like there's this idea of if you have an infinitely wide path, a path that accommodates and allows you to walk at the pace that you need to walk at, that allows your growth. First step is recognizing you're actually on a path. Mm. The second step is kind of going, well, how, how far do I want to walk? How fast do I want to walk? Do I want to walk in company of others? Do I want to walk on my own for a while? But maybe I can call out and wave at a friend that I can see somewhere in the distance, or I can encourage my friend who's needing a bit of help, maybe just by just being there for them. That the path a path demon is literally associated with movement and direction. But Mm. the thing is, so so there's a the the common direction simply being your personal develop like bringing into reality those potential those potential qualities that you have that everyone has and bringing them out and trying to discover them and put them into practice and polish them and refine them and learn from them. And the only way you can do that is if you just try. There's nothing wrong with going, Ah, oh. uh, if I review about that interaction, the store I had with that, that really grumpy shopkeeper, oh, I could have been a bit more kind. Okay, next time I'll, I'll see if I can remember to be kind. Or what can I do now? Oh, maybe I'll pop in. I'll just say, look, sorry, I had a really rough day. It's not an excuse, but I wanted to apologize for if I said something that hurt your feelings. If I said or I, I believe I said something that was that was discouraging or or not kind to you. And then leave it. It doesn't mean that you have to do that. It's something you can keep internal, you can choose to react or respond to things that you've done or haven't done. It's 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 so individual, but at the same time it's also has an effect collectively and you can make it as interactive with others as you need. So it's, it's, it, the use of the path is a, is a really good one. It's like some people don't realize that they're on a path and they're like, huh, whoops.
1: <laughs> and and that, that's the interesting as well, that um, I guess that relative versus the universal, because I think, yes, we are all on our own paths, but, and I'm keeping the metaphor, even though I it might, it might be twisting uh, it a bit, just mm. like a path, ho-ho. But um, I also... Uh, it's rough. I don't know if I actually believe this, but I think I'm starting to move in the direction of believing that. Mm-hmm. Like, because obviously the whole idea of this path metaphor is similarly to the Greeks and the Buddhists and everything, there is an end point. There is like, you can reach an end point. Well, here's but, my
0: question What if there isn't an end?
1: Well, there's that as well. Um, actually, in your realm, um, with my very limited knowledge of science i i've always felt that you know we're never going if if we exist for another millions and millions of years if our species does keep keep uh advancing scientifically i don't think there's ever going to be um a point where we're like yeah we know it all i i have that i just that i have nothing to base that on obviously it just feels like there's always going to be a new frontier
0: but it, it, it there is a reason for that. It's because as our tools, okay, as our knowledge refines, so this is purely from science point of view. As our tools refine, because our knowledge refines our tools, our tools then refine our knowledge. Our and then our process of engaging and accumulating evidence and reevaluating evidence through new tools means that we're getting new knowledge, which then feeds back to new tools mm. by which one. So it, it's a constant pursuit. E- e- of-
1: Every step makes you reevaluate all the steps you took before.
0: It's very dialectical. It's very very Hegelian but, kind but, of um,
1: thing. But go- going back to my idea, sorry, I kind of got off. No no but, no. But but it's okay for like path. It, the past being relative and personal, I still feel like n- maybe not morality or maybe not the end point, but I feel there is a universal quality, like the way to move forward. Really, it, yes. like the same qualities to be a good human are the same. <sighs>
0: I think, yes, I'm I'm with you. Like, I'd I'd also see it as, as, sorry, guys, deep philosophy moment today. Yeah, so that you'd have this path that the qualities are universal. The potential is going to, the potential exists, the capacity might differ. One person might have an endless capacity for patience and then they develop it over time and then you're like, okay, yeah, that's a really, really patient person. But then another person might, only be able to muster up like a speck of patience once in a while and no matter how much they work on it that's just where they're that's just who they are as like that's that's them but it doesn't mean that they stop trying doesn't mean oh well can't do it's like it's you you don't know whether you could develop by a millimeter you don't know whether suddenly events come into place and and suddenly you can you're capable of twice the amount of patience than that you previously. You don't know. So the ideas we we limit ourselves by the preconceived ideas that we have of our capacity. We don't know what our capacity is. But at the same time, we know that capacities will differ naturally. And that the path to develop these qualities, and yes, the qualities being almost the qualities that benefit not just us, but also those around us. Those would you would argue are the qualities that that allow for us all to progress, which means that that would make sense as a direction and a path that everyone's kind of progressing towards these qualities that enable that. And how we develop and how we grow is very similar as well. It's just that it looks slightly different in different settings, but it's it's the same principle of you usually go through something that's a challenge or difficult, or a crisis, or some sort of painful experience, or some sort of, you notice someone else suffering that's still painful, but you notice it, and you kind of go, and you notice in your life where you're challenged, and then you try and identify what needs to be done, and you work on it, and you work on it, and then you apply, and you learn from it, and that that moment of learning, like you're saying that, uh aha, that's joyful, that there's a joy in that, there's like a, oh, yeah and then you you keep going until you have the next stumble and and stutter and difficulty and it gets easier to to experience the difficulty but they still happen
1: and, and you know just going back to that like a hum moment it's funny i don't know if it, it's like this with you or any of our listeners yeah. but for me um, understanding something is mm-hmm. is almost binary uh, a good example is um, anagrams like you mm-hmm. know i'm a, i'm a huge fan of eight out of 10 cats does countdown and they, they have, uh, you know, the, the, the anagram at the end where it's a nine letter word jumbled up. And I, you know, I always try and guess it myself and there's only two modes. There's either, I get it pretty much immediately. Like the answer just pops out at me or I don't, because if, if I don't get it immediately, I can stare at that thing for an hour and, and it won't. It, yeah. it won't come. It, it's so weird. And it really feels like that. Like when I finally understand something, it's like I didn't before and now I do. It really is like that switch has been flicked.
0: Wow. Yeah. No, there's – yeah. I think sometimes we have that and I think that's – I don't know if everyone goes through it as well. But I have that with some things and other things less so. And sometimes I'm like, oh um especially when you know when you're doing word uh, unscramble puzzles like like the anagrams like you're doing those like I, I try and find word findy things like I do them once in a while when I need to just switch mm-hmm. off and um and you look at it and going I don't understand I don't know what word that is what could what seven letter word is in those like you you stare at it and then when you when you do either get it or you have to use a hint or whatever and you you get one of the letters revealed and you're like Oh, of course. And you kind of get annoyed at yourself. But this is oh, even definitely. knowledge. Yeah. But you go, but this is knowledge that is based on something that you already know. So you already know the word that you are then discovering in a different setting, in a different framing. I think some of the stuff that we go through whilst developing as a person is to recognize, oh, yes, this was an opportunity for me. Like, I, I, I think the thing that I needed to work on in this situation or in this event or what might be helpful to trial. Is to be um, when I'm when I'm speaking to this this person that that I have to remember that although I might feel that I am more informed on X Y Z that that doesn't mean that I know everything about X Y and Z and it doesn't mean that a person who I don't think or has told me they don't know anything about it can't say something that is thought provoking and that they contribute
1: and, so and that e- humility and e- even because I've had to learn that. Uh, a lot too, because you know, if I I'd get people telling me like a story I knew before or something I knew before, inwardly I'd be like, oh, I already know this. But then over time, I did learn that, yeah, well, let's hear their perspective or how they exactly. see it, and that's going to be interesting because, because it's a different yeah. telling or that, that they find different things about the story interesting, so that will be brought out. And yeah, the, uh, that idea of get, again getting out of your own way and realizing that on almost every topic, you can learn something new from everyone because they have yes. their unique perspective of it.
0: There's, there's even, like, even if there's some, a situation where they're saying something that is literally um, promoting a harmful perspective. I mean, I'm not going to say put yourself in situations where you're exposed to something that is mm. harmful to your, your being or that questions your right to exist or anything like that. Yeah. But if you, you're having a conversation, you're engaged in some sort of, like, dialogue, and your friend mentions something, and you're going, oh, that's actually not, hmm, mm. that's that's a bit on the, hmm, that's not, like, that's really uncomfortable. Yeah. And then to sit and kind of go, okay, so... What's making me uncomfortable? Okay, so that thing that they said makes me it sounds like the kind of language that's used to put down another person or to discourage a person or to belittle a person or make them feel like they have less value or to to look down, mm-hmm. basically looking down, condescending that kind of attitude. And then you can kind of go, okay, well, well, how can I communicate in a way that a respects my dignity, that b, has that does communicate clear boundaries, but also see is not assuming that they're not they're doing this out of a place of intentional harm. Like they may they may not realize the impact and the, what they're saying. Again, this is not something everyone has to do. Yeah, you, you you just do what you you do. You do what what works for you. But for me, I try. I'm trying, mm. trying not to knee jerk quite as quickly, and trying to kind of go okay. I can I just clarify when you're saying this, what is it that you're you're trying to convey? Like mm. what are you trying to say when you say this? Or you know when someone makes a joke that's just it's punching down, not up, and you're like, okay, look, i I appreciate that at some stage that could be funny if 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 you were ignoring the realities that the person or the population that you were referring to goes through. The thing is humor has its place. humor is it's it's great. We've had the discussion on humor before. But humor in, without the context of real, like the realities of those people that, that, like you're making jokes about, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. COVID taking away your sense of taste. Like, it, that's a very silly example. But like, it, it, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's,
1: but. Sorry. It, you said that and instantly I thought, oh, I've got COVID. Now I'm wearing zebra print every day. <laughs>
0: No, but like, like the, but yeah, the taste, the, the like loss of taste. And then, yeah. and then, which would make the joke literally tasteless. See? See? Terrible. Terrible. Right away. But the thing is that we, like, if you are informed enough or you know enough, and the more you know about these things, you kind of go, okay, well, actually, that indicates that they've had neuroinvasion of a virus that is extremely scary in terms of the impact that it can have on your body. It's quite medically profound. It's a, it's a medically profound symptom. And, we don't know we, they might lose their sense of taste for life and sense of smell for life we don't know what's happening with their life so it's it's humor but at the same time it's lacking almost that compassion that's necessary if the person themselves makes the joke about themselves again not going to i'm not going to argue about that but if someone else is making if you're making joke at the expense of someone else's circumstances at least be aware that their circumstances it might be much more painful than you realize so that, to, to be conscious of that and they might not admit to you that it's painful because you're not you're already making the joke or you're already asking permission to do something that is inherently saying you don't care whether it hurts them because you're you haven't considered it hmm. so they might not tell you and that's even worse <laughs> it's like
1: well it, it's it's that knowledge thing as well you know you might find something funny because you um haven't gained the knowledge that that can be hurtful to other people
0: but as soon as you know it's hurtful you stop that's as simple as that (laughs) hopefully well look you work on it but hopefully knowing that you're causing pain to another human being should be incentive to stop i mean sure there are certain populations that thrive on that but that's where you should probably seek um and and speaking of stuff in um them. so we
1: should let's probably, go to
0: this yeah we because, should
1: probably uh, get to the book i mean this has well, been i enjoyed this yeah. conversation immensely but you know we are here to read
0: but yeah milo actually reminds me of this like all these guys are the way that milo's idea of self-fulfillment and and development and growth is just almost like it's not almost it's purely material yeah
1: it's
0: a Purely material and social advancement and nothing else. It's not like he's actually making a difference in people's lives. He makes them feel like they're having a difference, but they're not.
1: And just, just we talked a bit about it last episode because I had trouble just understanding the effort he was going through. But just, yeah, the amount of steps he goes to for increased profit and just how convoluted that is really speaks to just how all encompassing that angle and that that value of his, how strong it is for material yeah. gain.
0: Yeah, no, yeah. That was that that was that was that was um yeah. So, Milo's behavior is concerning, but yes. Oh.
1: Let's uh learn a little about Nately's old man, shall we?
0: Well, I think we're gonna get to know about Nately less about his man. But yes, yes.
1: Chapter twenty three Nately's Old Man. The only one back in the squadron who did see any of Milo's red bananas was Arfi, who picked up two from an influential fraternity brother of his in the Quartermaster Corps when the bananas ripened and began streaming into Italy through normal black market channels, and who was in the officer's apartment with Yosarian the evening Nately finally found his b- again after so many fruitless weeks of mournful searching and lured her back to the apartment with two girlfriends by promising them $30 each. each, remarked Arfie slowly, poking and patting each of the three strapping girls skeptically with the air of a grudging connoisseur. $30 is a lot of money for pieces like these. Besides, I never paid for it in my life. I'm not asking you to pay for it, Nately assured him quickly. I'll pay for them all. I just want you guys to take the other two. Won't you help me out? Arfie smirked complacently and shook his soft round head. Nobody has to pay for it for good old Arfie. I can get all I want any time I want it. I'm just not in the mood right now. Uh, Why don't you just pay all three and send the other two away, Yasserian suggested. Sorry,
0: there's a giant red flag in that sentence. I think the red
1: flag is Arfi.
0: Well, yes, but the fact that nobody has to pay for it for good old Arfi. I can get all I want any time I want it. Hmm. That sentence is not a good sentence.
1: No. Why don't you just pay all three and send the other two away, Yesarian suggested. Because then mine will be angry with me for making her work for her money, Nately replied. That's actually
0: logical. That makes sense. She's not wrong.
1: <laughs> Nately replied with an anxious look at his girl, who was glowering at him restlessly and starting to mutter. She says that if I really like her, I'd send her away and go to bed with one of the others. <laughs> I have a better idea, busted Arfi. Why don't we keep the three of them here until after the curfew and then threaten to push them out into the street to be arrested unless they give us all their money? Ugh. We can even threaten to push them out the window.
0: Arfi's disgusting.
1: Mm-hmm. Arfie, Nately was aghast. I was only trying to help, said Arfi sheepishly. Arfie was always trying to help Nately because Nately's father was rich and prominent and in an excellent position to help Arfie after the war. Gee whiz, he defended himself querulously. Back in school, we were always doing things like that. I remember one day we tricked these two dumb high school girls from town into the fraternity house and made them put out for all the fellows there who wanted them by threatening to call up their parents and say they were putting out for us. We kept them trapped in bed there for more than 10 hours. We even smacked their faces a little when they started to complain. Then we took away their nickels and dimes and chewing gum and threw them out. Boy, we used to have fun in that fraternity house, he recalled peacefully, his corpulent cheeks aglow with the jovial, rubicund warmth of nostalgic recollection. We used to ostracize everyone, even each other. Ooh.
0: Yeah, well, I hope he dies. That's all I want (laughs) to (laughs) say. I wish violence upon this one. Violence upon this oh. fictional character. I wish the fictional character dies an in, in, inglorious, disgusting death. There we go.
1: I would not be saddened. No. Uh, but Arfie was no help to Nately now, as the girl Nately had fallen so deeply in love with began swearing at him suddenly with rising, menacing resentment. Luckily, Hungry Joe burst in just then, and everything was all right again. Except that Dunbar staggered in drunk a minute later and began embracing one of the other giggling girls at once. Now there were four men and three girls, and the seven of them left Arfie in the apartment and climbed into a horse-drawn cab which remained at the curb at a dead halt while the girls demanded their money in advance. Nately gave them $90 with a gallant flourish after borrowing $20 from the usarian $35 from Dunbar, and $17 from Hungry Joe. The Wait, girls,
0: I want to do some maths here. That's 55, 60, 72 he 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 cheaped out yeah yeah
1: the girls grew friendlier then and called an address to the driver who drove them at a clopping pace halfway across the city into a section they had never visited before and stopped in front of an old tall building on a dark street the girls led them up four steep very long flights of creaking wooden stairs and guided them through a doorway into their own wonderful and resplendent tenement apartment which burgeoned miraculously with an infinite and proliferating flow of supple young naked girls, and contained the evil and debauched, ugly old man who irritated Nately constantly with his caustic laughter and the clucking proper old woman in the ash-grey woolen sweater who disapproved of everything immoral that occurred there and tried her best to tidy up. Mm. The amazing place was a fertile, seething cornucopia of female nipples and navels. At first, there were just their own three girls in the dimly lit drab brown sitting-room that stood at the juncture of three murky hallways leading in separate directions to the distant recesses of the strange and marvelous bordello. The girls disrobed at once, pausing in different stages to point proudly to their garish underthings, and bantering all the while with the gaunt and dissipated old man with the shabby long-white hair and slovenly white unbuttoned shirt who sat cackling lasciviously in a musty blue armchair almost in the exact centre of the room, and bade Nately and his companions welcome with a mirthful and sardonic formality. Then the old woman trudged out to get a girl for Hungry Joe, dipping her captious head sadly, and returned with two big bosom beauties, one already undressed and the other in only a transparent pink half-flip that she wiggled out of while sitting down. Three more naked girls sauntered in from a different direction and remained a chat. Then two others. Four more girls passed through the room in an indolent group, engrossed in conversation. Three were barefoot, and one wobbled perilously on a pair of unbuckled silver dancing shoes that did not seem to be her own. One more girl appeared wearing only panties and sat down, bringing the total congregating there in just a few minutes to eleven, all but one of them completely unclothed there was bare flesh lounging everywhere, most of it plump, and Hungry Joe began to die. He stood stock still in rigid cataleptic astonishment while the girls ambled in and made themselves comfortable. Then he let out a piercing shriek suddenly and bolted toward the door in a headlong dash back toward the enlisted men's apartment for his camera, only to be halted in his tracks with another frantic shriek, by the dreadful freezing premonition that this whole lovely lurid rich and colourful pagan paradise would be snatched away from him irredeemably if he were to let it out of his sight for even an instant. He stopped in the doorway and sputtered, the wiry veins and tendons in his face and neck pulsating violently. The old man watched him with victorious merriment, sitting in his musty blue armchair like some satanic and heathenistic deity on a throne a stolen U.S. Army blanket wrapped around his spindly legs to ward off a chill. He laughed quietly, his sunken shrewd eyes sparkling perceptively with a cynical and wanton enjoyment. He had been drinking. Nately reacted on sight with bristling enmity to this wicked, depraved, and unpatriotic old man who was old enough to remind him of his father and who made disparaging jokes about America. America, he said, will lose the war, and Italy will win it. "'America is the strongest and most prosperous nation on earth,' Natalie informed him with lofty fervor and dignity, and the American fighting man is second to none." "'Exactly,' agreed the old man pleasantly, with a hint of taunting amusement. Italy, on the other hand, is one of the least prosperous nations on earth, and the Italian fighting man is probably second to all, and that's exactly why my country is doing so well in this war while your country is doing so poorly." Naley guffawed with surprise, then blushed apologetically for his impoliteness. I'm sorry I laughed at you, he said sincerely, and he continued in a tone of respectful condescension. But Italy was occupied by the Germans and is now being occupied by us. You don't call that doing very well, do you? But of course I do, exclaimed the old man cheerfully. The Germans are being driven out, and we are still here. In a few years you will be gone too, and we will still be here. You see, Italy is really a very poor and weak country and that's what makes us so strong italian soldiers are not dying anymore but american and german soldiers are i call that doing extremely well yes i'm quite certain that italy will survive this war and still be in existence long after your own country has been destroyed Natalie could scarcely believe his ears he had never heard such shocking blasphemies before and he wondered with instinctive logic why gibben did not appear to lock the traitorous old man up "'America is not going to be destroyed,' he shouted passionately. "'Never,' prodded the old man softly. "'Well,' Nately faltered. The old man laughed indulgently, holding in check a deeper, more explosive delight. His goading remained gentle. Rome was destroyed. Greece was destroyed. Persia was destroyed. Spain was destroyed. All great countries are destroyed. Why not yours? How much longer do you really think your own country will last? Forever?' Keep in mind that the earth itself is destined to be destroyed by the sun in 25 million years or so." Nately squirmed uncomfortably. Well, forever is a long time, I guess. A million years, persisted the jeering old man with keen sadistic zest. A half million? The frog is almost 500 million years old. Could you really say with much certainty that America, with all its strength and prosperity, with its fighting man that is second to none, and with its standard of living that is the highest in the world, will last as long as the frog?
0: Just going to just side note, standard of living, maybe at the time of this book. Yes, at the
1: time of this book. Forties to the sixties was kind of their heyday. Definitely post World War Two, when every other country was pretty much destroyed and America had no competition.
0: Yes, yes, but yes, it, this this impression I'm getting is that this man is actually a very, very well educated man, and he is not happy about the circumstances he's now finding himself in. Hmm. But yeah,
1: Natli wanted to smash his leering face. He looked about imploringly for help in defending his country's future against the obnoxious calumnies of this sly and sinful assailant. He was disappointed. Yasserian and Dunbar were busy in a far corner pawing orgiastically at four or five frolicsome girls and six balls of red wine, and Hungry Joe had long since tramped away down one of the mystic hallways, propelling before him like a ravening despot as many of the broadest hipped young prostitutes as he could contain in his frail windmilling arms and cram into one double bed. Nately felt himself at an embarrassing loss. His own girl sat sprawled out gracelessly on an overstuffed sofa with an expression of otiose boredom. Nately was unnerved by her torpid indifference to him, by the same sleepy and inert poise that he remembered so vividly, so sweetly, and so miserably from the first time she had seen him and ignored him at the packed penny ante blackjack game in the living room of the enlisted men's apartment. Her lax mouth hung open in a perfect O, and God alone knew at what her glazed and smoky eyes were staring in such brute apathy. The old man waited tranquilly, watching him with a discerning smile that was both scornful and sympathetic. A lissome, blonde, sinuous girl with lovely legs and honey-colored skin laid herself out contentedly on the arm of the old man's chair and began molesting his angular, pale, dissolute face languidly and coquettishly. Nately stiffened with resentment and hostility at the sight of such luxury in a man so old. He turned away with a sinking heart and wondered why he simply did not take his own girl and go to bed. This sordid, vulturous, diabolical old man reminded Nately of his father because the two were nothing at all alike. Nately's father was a courtly white-haired gentleman who dressed impeccably. This old man was an uncouth bum. Nately's father was a sober, philosophical and responsible man. This old man was fickle and licentious. Naley's father was discreet and cultured. This old man was a bore. Naley's father believed in honour and knew the answers to everything. This old man believed in nothing and only had questions. Nayley's father had a distinguished white moustache. This old man had no moustache at all. Naley's father, and everyone else's father Naley had ever met, was dignified, wise, and venerable. This old man was utterly repellent, and Nately plunged back into debate with him, determined to repudiate his vile logic and insinuations with an ambitious vengeance that would capture the attention of the bored, phlegmatic girl he had fallen so intensely in love with and win her admiration forever.
0: I suspect look she's phlegmatic, got glazed eyes is just essentially she's indifferent, like apathetic. Frustrated, doesn't want to work hard. Like she's tired, which makes me think she's sick. I think, I think she's sick. Uh,
1: any idea of what it could be or just, no. she's just, I'd
0: say she's, she's got something going on because she's, well, I mean, this is not actually relating to, I wasn't actually thinking in terms of her um, source of income, but I mean, that would uh. put her at more risk, but I'm actually thinking like maybe tuberculosis or some sort of like, because she's, if she's phlegmatic, if she's got glazed eyes, if she's exhausted, she could just be tired and exhausted and bored and just over it. Right. Really. Yeah. But just there's little words that are being thrown in between that make me feel like she might not be well.
1: Yeah. Again, as I'm reading through the sentences, I'm just marveling at all just the beautiful word choices to describe everything. Mm. Also, there- it's
0: interesting the the comparison of Natalie's father father oh. and Natalie's father has all the answers. But this man only has questions. Well, questions are not a bad thing, inherently, if they challenge you to think and grow.
1: Well, and you said you thought this old man is probably very intelligent. I, I think that cinches it as well, because, yeah, Nate, Nate Lee's just assuming, you know, based on his own father, that this man's nothing, you know.
0: I think he's frustrated by him, because he's logic, he's, he's actually out logicing him, and he, he doesn't understand how, considering he sees himself as better, and he sees his father as better, and therefore him as better.
1: And, and he sees him as a dirty old man, which, it, it, I mean, I agree. This man is definitely a dirty old man, but he seems also very switched on. Yeah. You, you can be more than one thing. We contain yes, multitudes.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> well, frankly, I don't know how long America is going to last, he proceeded dauntlessly. I suppose we can't last forever if the world itself is going to be destroyed someday. But I do know that we're going to survive and triumph for a long, long time. For how long? mocked the profane old man with a gleam of malicious elation. Not even as long as the frog? Much longer than you or me, Nately blurted out lamely. Oh, is that all? That won't be very much longer then, considering that you're so gullible and brave, and that I am already such an old old man. How old are you? Nately asked, growing intrigued and charmed with the old man in spite of himself. A hundred and seven, the old man chuckled heartily at Nately's look of chagrin. I see you don't believe that either. I don't believe anything you tell me, Nately replied with a bashful mitigating smile. The only thing I do believe is that America is going to win the war. You put so much stock in winning wars, the grubby, iniquitous old man scoffed. The real trick lies in losing wars, in knowing which wars can be lost. Italy has been losing wars for centuries, and just see how splendidly we've done nonetheless. France wins wars and is in a continual state of crisis. Germany loses and prospers. Look at our own recent history. Italy won a war in Ethiopia and promptly stumbled into serious trouble. Victory gave us such insane delusions of grandeur that we helped start a world war we had not a chance of winning. But now that we are losing again, everything has taken a turn for the better, and we will certainly come out on top again if we succeed in being defeated.
0: There's a lot of interesting layers to that. mm.
1: Nately gaped at him in undisguised befuddlement. Now I really don't understand what you're saying. You talk like a madman. But I live like a sane one. I was a fascist when Mussolini was on top, and I am an anti-fascist now that he has been deposed. I was fanatically pro-German when the Germans were here to protect us against the Americans, and now that the Americans are here to protect us against the Germans, I am fanatically pro-American. I can assure you my outraged young friend. The old man's knowing, disdainful eyes shone even more effervescently as Nately's stuttering dismay increased, that you and your country will have a no more loyal partisan in Italy than me, but only as long as you remain in Italy. "'But!' Nately cried out in disbelief. "'You're a turncoat! A time-server! A shameful, unscrupulous opportunist!' "'I am a hundred and seven years old,' the old man reminded him suavely. "'Don't you have any principles?' "'Of course not. No morality?' Oh, I am a very moral man, the villainous old man assured him with satiric seriousness, stroking the bare hip of a buxom black-haired girl with pretty dimples who had stretched herself out seductively on the other arm of his chair. He grinned at Nately sarcastically as he sat between both naked girls in smug and threadbare splendor with a sovereign hand on each. I can't believe it, Nately remarked grudgingly, trying stubbornly not to watch him in relationship to the girls. I simply can't believe it, But it's perfectly true. When the Germans marched into the city, I danced in the streets like a youthful ballerina and shouted Heil Hitler until my lungs were hoarse. I even waved a small Nazi flag that I snatched away from a beautiful little girl while her mother was looking the other way. When the Germans left the city, I rushed out to welcome the Americans with a bottle of excellent brandy and a basket of flowers. The brandy was for myself, of course, and the flowers were to sparkle upon our liberators. "'There was a very stiff and stuffy old Major riding in the first car, and I hit him squarely in the eye with a red rose. A marvellous shot. You should have seen him wince. <laughs> "'I like that.' Nately gasped and was on his feet with amazement, the blood draining from his cheeks. "'Major de Coverley, he cried. "'Do you know him?' inquired the old man with delight. "'What a charming coincidence.' Nately was too astounded even to hear him. So, you're the one who wounded Major de Coverly, he exclaimed in horrified indignation. How could you do such a thing? The fiendish old man was unperturbed. How could I resist, you mean? You should have seen the arrogant old boar sitting there so sternly in that car like the Almighty Himself, with his big, rigid head and his foolish, solemn face. What a tempting target he made. I got him in the eye with an American Beauty Rose. I thought that was most appropriate don't you? That was a terrible thing to do, Nately shouted at him reproachfully. A vicious and criminal thing. Major de Coverley is our squadron executive officer. Is he? teased the unregenerate old man, pinching his pointy jaw gravely in a parody of repentance. In that case, you must give me credit for being impartial. When the Germans rode in, I almost stabbed a robust young Oberlieutenant to death with a sprig of elderweiss.' Nately was appalled and bewildered by the abominable old man's inability to perceive the enormity of his offense. "'Don't you realize what you've done?' he scolded vehemently. "'Major Coverley is a noble and wonderful person, and everyone admires him.' "'He's a silly old fool who really has no right acting like a silly young fool. Where is he today? Dead?' Nately answered softly with somber awe. "'Nobody knows. He seems to have disappeared. You see?' Imagine a man his age risking what little life he has left for something so absurd as a country. Nately was instantly up in arms again. There is nothing so absurd about risking your life for your country, he declared. Isn't there? asked the old man. What is a country? A country is a piece of land surrounded on all sides by boundaries, usually unnatural. Englishmen are dying for England. Americans are dying for America. Germans are dying for Germany. Russians are dying for Russia. There are now 50 or 60 countries fighting in this war. Surely so many countries can't all be worth dying for." "'Anything worth living for,' said Nately, is worth dying for." "'And anything worth dying for,' answered the sacrilegious old man, is certainly worth living for. "'You know, you're such a pure and naive young man that I almost feel sorry for you. How old are you? 25 five? Twenty six? Nineteen, said Nately. "'I'll be twenty in January.' If you live." The old man shook his head wearing, for a moment, the same touchy, meditating frown of the fretful and disapproving old woman. They are going to kill you if you don't watch out. I can see now that you are not going to watch out. Why don't you use some sense and try to be more like me? You might live to be a 107 too. Because it's better to die on one's feet than live on one's knees, Nately retorted with triumphant and lofty conviction. I guess you've heard that saying before. Yes, I certainly have, mused the treacherous old man, smiling again. But I'm afraid you have it backward. It is better to live on one's feet than die on one's knees. That is the way the saying goes.
0: Which makes more sense.
1: Are you sure? Nately asked with sober confusion. It seems to make more sense my way. No, it makes more sense my way. Ask your friends. Nately turned to ask his friends and discovered they had gone. Yesarian and Dunbar had both disappeared. The old man roared with contemptuous merriment at Nately's look of embarrassed surprise. Nately's face darkened with shame. He vacillated helplessly for a few seconds and then spun himself around and fled inside the nearest of the hallways in search of the Assyrian and Dunbar, hoping to catch them in time and bring them back to the rescue with the news of the remarkable clash between the old man and Major de Coverley. All the doors in the hallways were shut. There was light under none. It was already very late. Nately gave up his search forlornly. There was nothing left for him to do, he realized finally, but get the girl he was in love with, and lie down with her somewhere to make tender, courteous love to her, and plan their future together. But she had gone off to bed too. By the time he returned to the sitting room for her, and there was nothing left for him to do then but resume his abortive discussion with the loathsome old man, who rose from his armchair with jesting civility and excused himself for the night. Abandoning Nately there were two bleary-eyed girls who could not tell him into which room his own b- had gone, and who padded off to bed several seconds later after trying in vain to interest him in themselves, leaving him to sleep alone in the sitting room on the small, lumpy sofa. Nately was a sensitive, rich, good-looking boy with dark hair, trusting eyes, and a pain in his neck when he awoke on the sofa early the next morning and wondered dully where he was. His nature was invariably gentle and polite. He had lived for almost twenty years without trauma, tension, hate, or neurosis, which was proof to Ysarian of just how crazy he really was. His childhood had been a pleasant, though disciplined one. He got on well with his brothers and sisters and he did not hate his mother and father, even though they had both been very good to him. Natalie had been brought up to detest people like arfie whom his mother characterized as climbers, and people like Milo, whom his father characterized as pushers, but he had never learned how since he had never been permitted near them. As far as he could recall, his homes in Philadelphia, New York, Maine, Palm Beach, Southampton, London, Deville, Paris, and the south of France had always been crowded only with ladies and gentlemen who were not climbers or pushers. Natalie's mother, a descendant of the New England Thorntons was a daughter of the American Revolution. His father was a son of a bitch. Always remember his mother had reminded him frequently that you are innately, you are not a Vanderbilt whose fortune was made by a vulgar tugboat captain, or a Rockefeller whose wealth was amassed through unscrupulous speculations and crude petroleum or a Reynolds or Duke, whose income was derived from the sale to the unsuspecting public of products containing cancer-causing resins and tars, and you are certainly not an Astor, whose family I believe still lets rooms. You are a Nately, and the Natelys have never done anything for their money. What your mother means, son, interjected his father affably one time with that flair for a graceful and economical expression Nately admires so much is that old money is better than new money, and that the newly rich are never to be esteemed as highly as the newly poor. Isn't that correct, my dear?" Nately's father brimmed continually with sage and sophisticated counsel of that kind. He was as ebullient and ruddy as Malt Claret, and Nately liked him a great deal, although he did not like malt Claret. When war broke out, Natalie's family decided that he would enlist in the armed forces since he was too young to be placed in the diplomatic service, and since his father had it on excellent authority that Russia was going to collapse in a matter of weeks or months and that Hitler, Churchill, Roosevelt, Mussolini, Gandhi, Franco, Peron, and the Emperor of Japan would then all sign a peace treaty and live together happily ever after. It was Natalie's father's idea that he joined the Air Corps where he could train safely as a pilot while the Russians capitulated and the details of the armistice were worked out, and where, as an officer, he would associate only with gentlemen.
0: (laughs) Okay, so a few things, (laughs) there. Dad's not too bright. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Yeah, wow.
1: Instead, he found himself with Yossarian, Dunbar, and Hungry Joe in a house in Rome, poignantly in love with an indifferent girl there with whom he finally did lie down the morning after the night he had slept alone in the sitting room, only to be interrupted almost immediately by her incorrigible kid sister, who came bursting in without warning and hurled herself onto the bed jealously so that Nately could embrace her too. Nately's p sprung up snarling to whack her angrily and jerked her to her feet by her hair. The twelve-year-old girl looked to Nately like a plucked chicken or like a twig, with the bark peeled off. Her sapling body embarrassed everyone in her precocious attempts to imitate her elders, and she was always being chased away to put clothes on and ordered out into the street to play in the fresh air with the other children. The two sisters swore and spat at each other now savagely, raising a fluent deafening commotion that brought a whole crowd of hilarious spectators swarming into the room. Nately gave up in exasperation he asked his girl to get dressed and took her downstairs for breakfast. The kid's sister tagged along, and Natalie felt like the proud head of a family as the three of them ate respectably in a nearby open air cafe. But Natalie's was already bored by the time they started back, and she decided to go street walking with two other girls rather than spend more time with him. Nately and the kid sister followed meekly a block behind, the ambitious youngster to pick up valuable pointers. Nately to eat his liver in mooning frustration, and both were saddened when the girls were stopped by soldiers in a staff car and driven away. Nately went back to the café and bought the kid sister chocolate ice cream until her spirits improved and then returned with her to the apartment, where Yosarian and Dunbar were flopped out in the sitting room with an exhausted hungry Joe who was still wearing on his battered face the blissful, numb, triumphant smile with which he had limped into view from his massive harem that morning like a person with numerous broken bones. The lecherous and depraved old man was delighted with Hungry Joe's split lips and black and blue eyes. He greeted Nately warmly, still wearing the same rumpled clothes of the evening before, Natalie was profoundly upset by his seedy and disreputable appearance, and whenever he came to the apartment, he wished that the corrupt, immoral old man would put on a clean Brooks Brothers shirt, shave, comb his hair, wear a tweed jacket, and grow a dapper white mustache, so that Natalie would not have to suffer such confusing shame each time he looked at him and was reminded of his father. Um, so I, I was think
0: about the younger sister issue, but that, that was that was because, yeah.
1: She's training.
0: Well no, she's not meant to be she No, she's
1: free. not meant to be but she definitely wants to be because she sees her sister and all the other women doing that.
0: She wants to be free.
1: But the big thing I think we need to talk about is that conversation Nately had with the old man. That seemed not only the core of the chapter, that seemed to be like the core of the book almost. Like that was thematically it's, rich.
0: It does. It is. But at the same time it's it's like this idea of um I mean we we've, we've had this conversation kind of in passing as well like that it's just this is silly like honestly at this point in time it's this is not again we've said this before and i'll say it again this is not to detract from people who have gone out there and been in combat and they've done so with the mindset that a that they had to do so because that was the only way to make a difference or because that they're not given any other option or whatever like th- those things are are a thing like mm-hmm. if you've done anything you your anything the whole point of war war is pointless mm. to to that's why this whole to to die for your country i mean there's that that really intensely difficult poem to that we all i mean in australia we 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 study it I think in the UK they'd study it as well. Maybe not so much in the US. I'm sure Canada does. There's a, a poem by uh, Wilfred. I want to say it's Wilfred Owen. I might be wrong. I'm going to find Look the name. Look it
1: up. Cause, yeah. cause, so so uh, then you can sound smart when you say it's by. Huh,
0: but... huh, huh. No, you can keep the errors in. I'm just going to remember if it was Wilfred Owen. It was yes, Wilfred Owen. I did remember. He wrote some intensely challenging poetry. He was a soldier in the middle of World War I. Mm. Within a year, he wrote most of his
1: poems. Uh, Where is he from?
0: Uh, UK. Okay.
1: He was born in the
0: UK and he he died. I mean, some of his poems, one of which is called The Anthem for Doomed Youth.
1: Mm. Well, speaking of youth, that seemed to be kind of the opposites as well, like the – the enthusiasm of Nately, uh, why he was, you know, fi- you know how, how noble it was to die for one's country versus almost the indifference or survivability of the old man.
0: Well, no, not only that, the old man's like, you, this is not, there is no purpose. Because you have to remember, the old man would have most likely been a soldier in World War One, if not previous wars before that.
1: Actually, yeah, with that level of cynicism towards how ridiculous... It's- Uh, Not only wars were, but uh, that whole bit about how winning wars was such a problem, and losing wars. Italy's lost heaps of wars, and we're going to survive.
0: And he explained it well, like saying, as soon as we won that war in Ethiopia, we got cocky and we started the process of 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 another world war. Like it's like, well, yeah. So there's. If you get a chance, dear listeners, if you haven't read it already or studied it, there's the the poem by Wilfred Owen, which is uh, "Dulce et decorum est," which is uh, the translation is, um, it's based on the Roman po- poet Horace, which is it is sweet and fitting to die for one's country. "Dulce et decorum est pro patra, patria mori." So. To to die for your own, your motherland is nothing sweeter than to die for your fatherland or to your your motherland or whatever you want to call it, mm. and that's and it's it's actually a really powerful poem, and it's reminding me of this conversation because the conversation is like, you're better off living, a, but if it's if if it's uh, worth living for, then it's worth dying for. It's like <laughs> the other way. <laughs> other way. If it's if it's if it's worth dying for, it's worth living for. Um, you're better off, you know, doing what you can to avoid situations that that require death.
1: And and you know, uh, linking that to our before reading conversation, yep. the longer you live, the more chance you have to make a better impact on the world around you.
0: Yeah. Well, it doesn't mean that you can't have an impact. I mean, Wilfred Owen died very, very young. Like he was that. That was one because World War world war one world war two the average age of soldiers kept dropping kept dropping and dropping and dropping so that was actually a, a big deal uh, i think he he wasn't that young but it, i mean he was young but yes the longer you live obviously he was 25. He was 25 i mean years. but
1: and th- this is a speculative conversation because we never know uh, i i've heard this conversation you know like what if jimi hendrix had not died at 27, yeah. would we have so many more wonderful albums or would, you know, was his best work behind him? But, you know, that, that's almost a, a silly conversation. We, to we, have. Yeah.
0: We can't tell, we can't tell because, because. But some, there's the potential
1: yeah. for a great artist who dies young to have, if they had lived to create more great work that we of can course. all benefit from.
0: Of course. But I think what it is, is that we, whether we live, you could spend. You could live for a hundred and seven years, like supposedly this this man is living. And do you could nothing. live for a hundred and seven years, and the way that you're living is essentially just to survive. If your only purpose is to survive, and you're willing to do anything mm. for that, including have no integrity, believe in nothing in particular, and just do the thing. Mm. That's also it's interesting because he's using so so Heller has used this plot point of this guy to challenge the naive, brave, and 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 well intentioned Nately, right?
1: Who who also let, let's just aside here that we find out Nately basically a spoiled rich kid. He really has no idea how the world he is.
0: Works. He's it's not only a spoiled rich kid. He's not, but he's not an arfi No. No, he's not an RFE, and he's not a Milo, and yet he comes from wealth. So whatever he's picked up from his parents has has been like he's heard them give those lessons, but he doesn't understand what it means in the real world. Mm. He's confused, and all he knows is that, but these are the things I've been taught, but how does this work in reality? And it doesn't, and it's it's confusing. So he's already in, in this completely messed up situation.
1: Yeah, um, where where and- are his. His dad said, "You'll meet officers," and he's like, "What I met was Usarian Dunbar and Hungry Joe." <laughs> yeah.
0: So you've got you've got this. You have both Nately and the old man being presented as both like they're both they both have issues. They both have flaws. Mm. One is saying, "Well, you're better off." I mean, he's not uh, Nately. Is not the one with the fly in his eyes. Like that's um, uh, Applebee. Mm. So that's that's a whole other thing. But Natalie is just like, well, I've been told my whole life that we're better.
1: And and the other, he didn't enlist himself. His parents decided that he would enlist.
0: Yes, and also they, I don't think they expected that he could die or would die. Mm. Um, because they they the privilege of wealth does not allow them to see that that's and I mean he th- the father thought that Hitler Churchill Roosevelt Mussolini Gandhi and Franco and Peron and the Emperor of Japan were just sign a priest treaty and live happily together ever after. The problem <laughs> is that all those people wanted power and control. They all wanted to rule the world, except with the exception of a few. They wanted their ideas to rule the world, or they wanted to rule the world. So, um, hmm. Hmm. yeah. So, but yeah, so the, the, the point is that we've got...
1: And, and uh, what well, I also want to say, and it took a lot longer for Russia to collapse.
0: Yeah, and I'd arguably probably hasn't really collapsed. It's just shaped, changed form. Anyway, so it, it hasn't actually collapsed. It's just...
1: No, no, it, 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 it kind of... adapted. Um, it, it folded for a while. And it's, <laughs> well,
0: to the world... For, for, yeah, there were issues. Like with any country in the world, uh, with any nation and in the world, uh, the foundations of these nations, if they aren't based on actually for thinking and thinking about the impact of the future and, and ever advancing kind of situation is, it eventually peter's out but at the same time it's confronting because Heller is using this this character which is old man which is you know he's grotty he's 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 a lech, right yep as far as he's being depec- depicted but he is also saying things that are not entirely wrong He's not wrong, but the way he's gone about what that looks like in practice might not necessarily be actually much of a life either. So it's... it's yeah. No, it's, he, it's, he's, he's yeah. definitely not
1: someone to emulate.
0: No, he's not. But the questions he poses, he's using this guy to deliver these questions, which are good, which are challenging, mm-hmm. which are, how long do you think a civilization will exist the way that you think it will? How long do you think that the concept of your nation... As being something worth dying for. Like that's, that's, mm. it's not the nation that's worth dying for. It's, it's, um, if you, if you are engaged in something and you sacrifice your life in the path of ensuring that future generations will live better that's that's a personal choice for a person to make but you cannot tell another person how and what and why to sacrifice it's not Mm -hmm. an imposed thing as soon as you impose it on someone else it's not sacrifice that's sacrificing Mm -hmm. as opposed to allowing a person to decide and 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 of course if you indoctrinate kids to believe that that's the way to go about things you're not actually allowing them to make an informed choice anyway gets more more and more complicated Mm. um But also, he's got parents who are saying, these people are worth more than those people. We are worth more than this is worth. Anyway, meantime, their homes in uh, France and uh, London, I'd be curious to know if they're still Mm. standing.
1: Well, Uh, the the wealthy do seem to uh, escape the horrors of war a lot of the time.
0: Well, they escape the hard the difficulties in life a lot of the time through means of that they have access. It, to especially
1: it. because their their houses are probably like in France, at least out in the countryside.
0: Well, no, one was in Paris. So one Paris, was in
1: Paris, and one and was, one in, was London. in London. Those, London those would have problems, but.
0: but. yeah, the south of France. I don't know. I, I like there would have been stuff, but. Mm. But yeah, so we're gonna find out. Um, I think a bit more about. I th- yeah, he's nineteen. He's a baby. Mm. Yeah, he doesn't know, and he has—he's been incredibly sheltered. And I think that's also why
1: he's fallen in love with the prostitute as well.
0: Yeah, and also I think he—I think was it Natley that really admired Usarian? Uh, I don't Nately, know. Natley admires and appreciates usarian in in a way because Usarian a will lend him money. <laughs> There's that. But also, I think Usarian hasn't like there. He okay. Usarian clearly doesn't like Arfi, and I think acts almost as a barrier between Arfi and Nately in a way. Simply by by Nately knowing there's someone here that that Arfie, that is doesn't like Arfi, uh, and, and kind of stands in between. But yeah, I the the dialogue by Arfi was disturbing as heck.
1: Oh yeah, that would that was. Uh... Something I kind of hope we wouldn't bring up, but I guess we have to these uh it's like every time we meet him he gets worse, or we yes. lo- every time we learn more about him,
0: well, I already was worried about him, but now it's just like there was a little red flag again at the beginning of the chapter, oh wow, okay, no, we're not going for red we're not going for a red flag, we're going for you know a laser beam of red shining. <laughs> <laughs> like a sirens and alarms yeah. we're, and a,
1: we're going for the elevator and the shining
0: yes that's that's beyond red flag um so yeah it was, it's it's and, it's and, and the,
1: the fact that 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 story he told from his fraternity days was uh oh. characterized with a nostalgic you know ah oh, that was the, that was a great time meanwhile i'm reading it i'm going oh my no
0: yeah, and I am sure variations on this theme still exist to mm-hmm. this day. And can I just say, if you know anyone who is nostalgically, fondly remembering anything of this, please, please, I don't know. If it's, if you're in a position where you can have a conversation with them about it and maybe nudge them to seek professional help, that might be it, but you know, worth it. Or report them if they have any involvement with minors, of course, but you know, this is, don't be a snitch unless it involves harming minors in which case snitch away snitch snitch snatch whatever snitch away like no harming anyone Uh, really harming anyone yes but in terms of particularly when it comes to children Mm -hmm. and those under the age of 18 i mean arguably any age but any no like there's there's a certain level of where where we should not, like, people shouldn't be passive in the face of others harming others. No. Yeah. But there's a particular obligation of society to protect those who are the, vulnerable.
1: The, the folks whose brains aren't from fully formed yet.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, as we have a very unpleasant topic. Um, well, yeah,
1: the, yeah, this whole chapter was uh, challenging.
0: Yes. Uh, With the younger sister, with all sorts of moments. I'm like, mmm...
1: Yeah. And then, yeah, just the ideas between Nately and the old man were uh, challenging in a different way.
0: Yeah, it's, um...
1: (sighs) This comes off the heels of that uh, half an hour discussion we had about (laughs) paths.
0: Yeah, well, no, the thing is that that that's the part as well. It's like...
1: (sighs) This has been a dense episode. That's why. I mean. Yeah,
0: that's what it is. It's very dense. Very heavy dense. But yes, there's going to be a there's going to be a content note. There's going to be a chunky content, and I'll try and just go. Yeah, guys, there be dragons here. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, and I'm laughing because I'm uncomfortable with topics, um, but yeah.
1: No. Oh. Okay. Well. Um, I know you're going to be looking for the next episode because the chapter is called Milo. We're back to Milo again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) i will survive.
1: Uh, Why do I have the feeling that as we speed towards the end of the book, there's going to be more and more Milo?
0: Yeah. His machinations
1: seem to be what's going to cause everything to crumble or lead to whatever the climax of this book is.
0: Given the international nature of his syndicate, in the middle of a world war where he is actively working with the enemies yes yes i mean milo would agree with the old man there's no point in dying for your country
1: yeah
0: (laughs) and there's no point in people dying for their countries because where's the (laughs) profit
1: sorry only people dying can lead to profit that's the only time it's okay
0: yes yes
1: like if you take out insurance policies on people and then they have accidents i'm sure he'd think that was just fine
0: well, yes, of course, because everyone gets benefits from the syndicate. Everyone gets from the benefits of the syndicate. Well, well, God, you know
1: what? Poor. What he, he started off his um, his escapades by stiffing the army. So you know, you could make the argument by stealing from the army. You're taking either uh, supplies or food out of men's mouths. You're, you're causing or you're contributing to the death of these soldiers.
0: Yeah. Because they're, yeah. they're
1: they're not at their best.
0: No. Because, yeah, it, it, and I think he's already engaging in that. I don't know. Milo is not trustworthy in the slightest.
1: I guess mm. that's why war profiteering is such a, a heinous crime.
0: But also he, I want to know, like, he it comes, I'm getting the impression he's a con man. Like, that's yeah, he, how he, yeah.
1: Uh, well, it really does feel like the syndicate is just, Plate spinning in the air.
0: Well, that anyway. But I was just thinking the way that he cons himself into these different countries.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but with the Welsh uniform for some reason.
0: Yeah, that really stood. Out. And the fact that he's a, you know, a vizier, like mm-hmm. it's what. There's some really weird stuff going on. Yeah. Yes. So uh, on that note. For the weird and wonderful world of Milo, tune in <laughs> next week.
1: Now I'm picturing him as like uh, Gene Wilder playing him in a movie, and the whole Willy Wonka type.
0: Just much darker. Except I,
1: I, if I remember correctly, Milo was a very short man. Maybe. I don't know. I've got the picture of him as... Very short for some reason.
0: At the end of this thing, we're grabbing profiles of all the people, all the characters, when they've lived, when they died, what key plot points they contributed to, and their heights. We're, we're going re- to
1: have a very in-depth discussion once <laughs> the final chapters.
0: Because right now, <laughs> it's just chaos.
1: Yeah, you know, the final chapter, maybe we, we make this pledge now. We'll jump pretty much into the chapter straight away so we can have the big discussion afterwards.
0: Yes. Yes. Let us do that.
1: Okay. But um, for now, we hope you enjoyed this episode, this very, very dense episode. The music at the top of the podcast was Soap Runs. It's by Rupert Gregson Williams and Harry Gregson Williams. The music at the end is I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. You can find me over on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip.
0: And you can find me at Rue McMoo, that's R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O. You can find our podcast at S-M-B-S-L-T Podcast. That's on Twitter. That's at Facebook um, as a page. And also, if you add at gmail.com, you get our email. And that's it. Hope to hear from you.
1: Yeah. uh, Maybe look
0: up uh, tell us what you feel when you've read Wilfred Owen's poetry. uh, I might have to read
1: that poem myself.
0: Yeah, it's heavy. Like we had to, we studied it in school. I, I think I did it specifically because we were studying. We had to do a, we had an English assignment where we had to pick books that were related to war and stories related to war because we were doing Henry V. Mm. So you studied Henry V, and at the same time, we're told go and basically write a massive assignment on using at least so and so many pieces of poetry, so and so many books, so and so many... So I did that. I sat down, and I read a whole pile of stuff, including Wilfred Owen, and uh, wrote uh, a, a pretty extensive essay on war from the different perspectives of, of these pieces of literature, like glorified, whether it's not, whether when it's how it's depicted, and this concept of the brotherhood, of soldiers and anyway,
1: did you call it war? <laughs> good God, y'all! What is it good for? Absolutely no, not.
0: <laughs> no. I can't remember what, what it was called. I'll probably find it somewhere. In my things have happened, destroyed it in moving I, house in, in
1: my my documents folder, I still have all my uni um, folders. <laughs> I don't have when all I did of my the things. Bachelor's.
0: I don't have all my things, but I occasionally will stumble and stuff. Going, wow, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: Okay. Okay. Well. Okay. Yes. 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 Uh, okay. let, let's let's call this. Uh, we thank you for joining us. Uh, we hope you're enjoying your reading. We hope you are staying safe, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.